Hello and welcome to Operation Silver Screen presents the 2023 Brass Magnifier Awards. Glad to have you guys back. Continue on with our final part where we'll talk about the second and first favorite movies of ours and some other fun subcategories along with what we would like to see in 2023. Also, I made mention at the end of last episode that I may switch up my rankings a bit and thinking about it more, yeah, I'm going to have to say that Decision to Leave, which was number three, I would put at number five and Everything Everywhere All at Once at number three, leaving The Barbarian where it's at for number four. This is actually what I was originally planning to have it until the day before the day we recorded. But thinking about it more, yeah, this this is the right choice. This is really how I feel. Nothing changes about anything that I've said about the movies, but everything everywhere all at once, while I do think it may have a flaw or two, it really is an excellent film. So I hope that uh, solved a little bit of suspense for you and you can continue on with the other suspenseful events. Enjoy. Let's get, let's get into something, uh, something we like. Best franchise inclusion. For me, it's Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. I didn't think much about the Shrek franchise, you know? I mean, I'm grown. It's not really for me anymore. I know they have a whole bunch of movies, whatever. But I watched Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, and I really love that movie. So props to that. That's the best franchise inclusion for me. Oh, that is a good one. That is a good one. Only reason I wouldn't include that well, I haven't seen Puss in Boots the first one. I still need to watch it. I haven't either. But the first and second Shrek were good. And I saw a bit of the third. I think I may have seen the whole thing on the third. It wasn't... I, mean, I got some laughs during it. So, like, as far as how it holds up as kind of compared to the whole franchise, because that's what I'm doing for the best franchise inclusion and uh, the worst okay. franchise inclusion, it's kind of comparing it to the rest of the films as well. Top Gun Maverick, I really wanted to say, but, I mean, it's considered a multimedia franchise, but... I don't really consider it a franchise. And I mean, we already, we already talked about Top Gun Maverick. Uh, so I would have to say Prey. Okay. And, yeah. And I will say Prey because the franchise was just struggling to make a good movie. And I mean, you had decades of them trying to make a good movie, at least with Puss in Boots. Like there was, there was an expectation for it to be at least above decent. Prey was, eh, what are we going to get here? What are we really going to get? And they managed, they took risk and they managed to make a great movie that holds up and some would consider to be better than the original. Yeah. I mean, I liked it better than the original. Well, you hated the original, so it's a low ball. That doesn't <laughs> yeah, count. I know. It's not really hard, but yeah. But yeah, I respect that choice. What about, before we get to the worst franchise inclusion, what about your best animated film? Let's keep it positive. Um, I mean, I'm going to say the same exact movie, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. I really love that movie i think uh there was two movies that i gave four and a half stars on letterbox this year and then two movies i gave five stars so like i said my ratings are pretty low this year and so of the four and a half this was this was one of those movies for me uh i'm gonna give you guys a little hint it's about a particular wooden puppet (laughs) in uh that's included in this movie uh along with his trusty sidekick uh, who is a cricket. Do you have any idea what movie I'm talking about, Caitlin, that includes this wooden puppet? I'll give you another hint. He wants to be a real boy. I don't know. I don't think I've ever heard anything like that before. Okay, go ahead. Take a guess. Take a guess. Uh, I don't know. Got He's made of there. pine. Is, is it, Chris it, Pine the movie? <laughs> hey, I'll see that. <laughs> no, it is Put Some Boots. <laughs> Pinocchio and the cricket were both in Puss in Boots, and that cricket was hilarious. 
Oh, oh my. I'll, uh, that cricket had me cracking up and puss in boots. <laughs> Look, Del Toro's Pinocchio was was fantastic. It, it was a great movie. Um, it's still just, it's a story that I've seen, I've grown up with, mm-hmm. it, you know, maybe because there were so many this year, I was like, all right, I, w- I wasn't really fully feeling it when I saw it. It's still a good movie. And man, is it well animated? Yeah. The animation and the like fairy creature things that are in it. Absolutely amazing. So well animated. Give me chills. But I think that like it went a little bit too far with like the anti-fascist hitler youth children type storyline there and things with politics that i didn't fully understand and yeah i didn't that didn't fully work for me it went a little bit too hard into it and it dragged a bit in those parts but it was a really great film but puss in boots man (laughs) puss in boots you know i want to make mention of another character not just about that cat in boots and not 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 about uh what was his name the dog Oh, Perito. Perito. He was great. And the uh, the other cat that was from the first film. Uh, I don't know her name. Kitty Softpaws. Kitty. How did I forget that name? Kitty Softpaws reminded me of my own cat. And uh, me and Jean were playing with a, a little pug dog the other day. And we're like, oh, you remind me of Perito. I can. <laughs> yeah, Perito is. God. Perito has. His backstory <laughs> is hilarious and sad. <laughs> it is. But that wolf, though. That wolf is one of the best villains in oh film. Like, gosh. if you were to make a top 50 list, Death as the Big Bad Wolf, or the Big Bad Wolf as Death in this film, mm-hmm. like, I'm talking about not just animation, but live action. I Amazing. I was looking forward to him coming in. Like, I was telling Devin, he feels like an anime villain. Like, he has yeah. that buildup. Like, he shows up. He, he does the same thing they do in the animes. He, he beats up the main character. Then that main character has to go in like rehabilitation and kind of work up the courage again. But he like he has this mm-hmm. whistle. He has these dual sides. They have a big climatic fight at the end. And and honestly, I should have put Puss in Boots under scariest horror because that wolf was terrifying too. That oh, that wolf. I mean, death is scary. Yeah, it is. Lived up to the name, and yeah, this is this is such a great film for for so many reasons this is another film that i was having a ton of laughs but it was also it was it was a cool adventure to see it didn't feel like they were you know they like were building from something or they were building to something like hey we just have this idea for a story and i'm happy to see i was a little bit worried because this went to streaming early but even though it went to streaming it's still been in theaters and people have been seeing it i think people are like trying to get their kids out of the house Mm-hmm. So they they go ahead and take them, even though they could watch it on streaming. Uh, so I I do hope this gets a a sequel of of some sort. I'd like to see another story. I mean, Puss in Boots. He's his character cocky in the best way, but then mm-hmm. he has like this this moment of of real emotion, and and that's there's some there's some heartfelt moments in this movie as well. So just all around a great animated film. How well is this for kids to see? That's debatable. Some people get ended. Like, there's no question about what happened to that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder about it. I was like, this isn't like, like, is this kid friendly? <laughs> people people die and there's like no way to say, oh, that didn't happen. No, that person's dead. Yeah, it got dark in places. <laughs> like I said, we were going to talk about that. And now we're going to talk about the worst franchise inclusion. Caitlin, what franchise inclusion just did not work? 
This is where I put the Disney Pinocchio. Does that count as the live action Disney franchise? That's, yes, because I almost okay. put it into this uh, category. All right. I wasn't sure, but that that's what I put because that was awful. Like you said, just just lazy all around. That that was the one. And like I said, the it was almost vice versa because this one I almost put into one that made me angry. And uh, let me stretch it out a little bit before we go at it. Jurassic World Dominion. No, I'm going to call BS because you ranked it above other ones in the franchise. No, this was the bottom of the list for me. I thought you ranked it above the first Jurassic World. No, I said I, I was thinking about it and I was like, nah, this is... I, I said I watched Jurassic World again. I was like, this isn't that bad and this is below. And if I didn't, I, I was actually going to say since I've seen that film, I whatever letter grade I give gave it, put it down some more. <laughs> I think I gave this like a straight D. <laughs> this is probably like E plus territory if that's a thing. All right, fine. <laughs> I don't agree with you, but fine. <laughs> Yeah, this film is that uh, is that time to talk about writing. Another writing example was presented in this film. So this is a movie about dinosaurs. Wait, hold up. No, my, my bad, my bad. I mixed it up with the other Jurassic Parks and Jurassic Worlds. This is a movie about locusts. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I know I'm like the hundredth person to complain about this, but come on, you set up. And this is why I included the worst franchise inclusion because this was like supposed to build to something you know we were always worried about what happens if the dinosaurs get out what happens if you know the dinosaurs on a rampage the second movie was you know it's a direct sequel to that question and that movie does not address it at all until the very end and they throw in a line well well now we got to work along with the dinosaurs what don't use that as your theme conclusion that has nothing to do with whatever you what you presented and portrayed throughout this film and it's it's like you had so much, and yet I don't know if it was if you were being lazy with it, if you wrote yourself into a hole. I don't even think that because they didn't even bother to even try to. It, it, it's basically like it sets up the next film, almost like how this year Thor was with the Guardians of the Galaxy, and we get that first scene with them working together, and then they both they go their separate ways. That's how this movie was with the whole dinosaur world thing. And they were like, yep, there's dinosaurs in the world. All right, time to go ahead and break into this lab for whatever reason, just so we can throw way too many characters into this film. This is not how you do a legacy sequel. Top Gun showed a, a way to do a, a great legacy sequel. This showed a way of how you put way too much in a film. And that's why I think there could have been some studio intervention here saying, hey, we got to fit these characters in here. Well, how can we bring all these characters together? It just, I, God, this, this film is just, and, and I said, like, I enjoy the visuals. Yeah. But just looking at all the other Jurassic parks, like I, I enjoyed those film on some level, but this film, it just, it, it failed on even presenting the dinosaurs. It felt like they did not know what to do with this film. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't disagree with you on any of your points. I just really had a fun time with this. Like I said, this is my uh, Kong versus Godzilla. But I still, I will argue, though, that it's still a lot better than the first Jurassic World. Like, that, for me, is just the worst. Oh, also, well, I'll say the first, at least the first, every film has had, like, a big, bad carnivore. Or, well, Lost World had two of them. They, well, they just had two T-Rexes. That was their thing. There was like, this is the second movie. Two. Two T-Rexes. That's how we do it. That's what it was like back in those days. 
think I think that was the nineties. Uh, so this film, though, I mean, the gigantic Saurus and the director saying this is the Joker of of the movies. Like this is the like Jurassic Park is the Batman, and this Gigantosaurus is the Joker. Didn't make any sense. We see that thing for like that two scenes. <laughs> It were he was in like two scenes and he doesn't do anything different than the other dinosaurs do. Like the Indominus Rex was at least he he caused mayhem. He he really was a threat. Was it unbelievable? Made no sense. And why would anybody do that? Yes. But hey, this movie just throws things together to make a story as well. So you know, as far as like uh, just poor writing goes, yeah, that's throughout the series. But here, and you have poor writing as decisions that people are making but at the same time you just have a story that doesn't even it's not even cohesive in any way and also just the level of people surviving things that they should not survive there's there's absolutely no tension in this film at all yeah see the jurassic world the first one the real villain of it for me was sexism so <laughs> that's why it's at the bottom of my list i think that this had characters that were fun had action moments that were fun i liked it I think I liked it even every time I watched it, I just liked it more and more just because I just had a fun time with it. So I don't know. Just my personal. Is it a good movie? Absolutely not. It's awful. But, you know, I still had fun. But I don't think Colin, I think uh, Colin Trevorrow, I don't think he knows how to direct that many people in the scene. I think that's his problem. And I don't I don't think that he's, you know, he went from small indie to Jurassic World. And I, I feel like that was just too much for him. You'd think he would have learned something two movies later. Well, he didn't He didn't direct Fallen Kingdom. He only directed the first Jurassic World. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Probably explain why I like that one more. Yeah, th- yeah. there was a shot that I was telling you about where, what was it, the blocking? Mm-hmm. It was bad. It was so bad. Like, you guys literally have too many characters for this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, the blocking was awful in the film. And the fan service. So much fan service. <laughs> Like just just re-release Jurassic Park in IMAX. Just do that. That's fair. I'll get behind that. All right, Caitlin, show me the number two film of the year. My number two film of the year, and this one was really hard for me to choose between my number two and my number one, but it's going to be After Sun by uh, Charlotte Wells. We talked about this a lot, so there's not really too much more to say about it. But like I said, the thing that's just so well done in this film is that it gives you and then it pulls back it gives you some information and then it pulls back and it just knows how to tell a story very well and it's an excellent example of show don't tell um and there's such a beautiful sadness to it i love this film i'll recommend it to everyone and the fact that this is her first film and i don't think she's very old either i think she's pretty young it's amazing i think this this is an amazing film yeah i I've spoke about how great this film is on on a couple levels now, so I definitely agree. I'm surprised this is your number two, and I think I know you're number one now. I'm going to give a guess when it comes to that time. The beautiful thing with After Sun is that it really is just a small vignette. It's really just a small glimpse into the lives of these two people, and you're with them for such a short time, but it's still so powerful. And you see this character who's searching through these old videos. Like I said, that really connected to me uh, personally. 
But she's really looking through these videos and she's looking for answers to questions that she doesn't even fully grasp. I think she's trying to find something in those videos that she probably doesn't even fully know what she wants to find or is expecting to find. But she's just searching and trying to make sense of the person on the screen in front of her. And I think that was just such a beautiful thing of After Sun and, and why it really stood out with me. I really almost put this as my number one spot and we'll get into that a little bit later but this is just a phenomenal movie yeah no disagreements there for my number two film of the year it is going to be all quiet on the western front (laughs) Uh, despite your bias uh, (laughs) i i really enjoy this film this was you said after sun was almost your number one this was almost my number one Mm, okay as far as like the best movie of the year, the best one made. Man, this this rivals my number one. Like I think at that they reach at the same level, but then my number one, it there's more of a personal liking to it that gives it some extra points. But this film all around is so well made from the cinematography that I already talked about to the um to the score of this film to the balance of the the grit and beauty of this as well and and the overlap that you see this film is also interesting in seeing how seeing it from the germans point of view this does take place at world war one but it's interesting to see that from a point of view of non-americans especially someone uh from a nation that was coming from the losing side and as a historical film i did learn some things from this and man it's depressing how many young men they very young men like our characters that we focus on they're only 17 and one of them actually forges the signature of his parents so that he can go join the military and it's because to them it was pitched as like you guys you know you got to do this for your country you're going to have a great time it's going to be awesome you know you're going to be war heroes they were really getting pumped up for it and and the guy even tells them like and I'm sure most of you guys are going to come back. There's no worries on that. For those who know about the war, that was such a lie that most of them would come back. Barely any came back. They lost, I think, 14 million uh, soldiers, 14 million people. And they only gained, I think it was uh, 100 meters in, in their effort to push back the French or to push forward into French territory. That's, that's all they gained. I think they gained, like, each push they did from the trenches, they only gained a, me- a meter. As far as, I mean, war films, like, you kind of know how, you know the structure of the war film, but you kind of do the same with a lot of films, with with horror films, with disaster films, but there's nuances that just make it, that set it apart from, from the rest. Now, a lot of those common themes are going to be there, and it exemplifies on those, on, and emphasizes those themes. There really is, like, this innocence that is being destroyed and you see it within the the young characters and the kind of some of the older ones as as well. And of course, it's going to be heartbreaking. People are going to die, and each time that happens, it's just yeah, like you you get emotionally invested in these characters due to the the great performances, the camaraderie and chemistry between them and the actors themselves, who they look appropriately young. They are uh, a bit older than than they should be. But I think they balanced it out by doing some older casting with some other characters. I just enjoyed this completely throughout. Now, where would you rank this like as far as like your list of favorite war films? I've been debating that, but this I mean, this is 
I would have to think about it for a while and really weigh it out, but this is a potential number one out of all of them. Okay. All right. Yeah, there's there's so much like this just and so for World War One, I, I mean it was a lot of trench warfare. You you see how horrible those trenches were. Uh this is another film where the choreography, the 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 kills, the fights, they're they're not like they're well done as far as the shot, but they're not to, they're not meant to look clean. Like a lot of it is uh is ruthless, is improvised. There's a lot of shots that are missed because they're still using bolt action rifles. You see people like two feet in ch- front of each other, just like trying to quickly pull the uh pull back the bolt and shoot each other, or going at it with bayonets. And man, talk about some of the t- top horror moments in this year of 2022. There's a horror moment moment in this movie where the tanks show up and i've never seen tanks just filmed in such a way that they are like creatures coming from coming from the dark and and into where like holy crap if you were an infantryman and because this is the first war where tanks were really used i believe and man seeing tanks like it, it really it really shows you it really portrays well what that would be like to be an infantryman, just a just a person, no anti armor rounds or anything, and you have, you first see like just a couple tanks, you're like, okay, maybe they can get out, and then you see another, uh, another wave of tanks coming in, and it, it's it's crazy. This this is such a also the color grading of this film, man. This I really want to look and see how they did it with this film because it was like again I keep talking about the blue in their eyes, and also there's a. Uh, there's there's scenes with snow as well and it's again like that color grading goes into how a lot of this was just meant to look very very beautiful gotcha okay so yeah a strong strong contender for number one but not there as far Mm -hmm. as my number one pick well guess what you're gonna have to wait still first we're (laughs) gonna be talking about our best supporting actor and actress caitlin you want to go ahead and start with your actor Ah, uh, okay. So this was Best Supporting Actor, not Actress. It's probably the hardest category for me as far as the acting categories. Almost. There, there's two categories that I had a hard time with this year picking. Um, But I'm going to say I'm going to agree with what all the award season and critics are saying and give it to Ke Hui Huan for his performance as Waymond in Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, some other ones I, I, I enjoyed was Bill Skarsgård and Barbarian and Timothy Chalamet and Bones and all, but I'm, I'm going to give it to Kehui. And I think that came more... I haven't given everything all at once a full rewatch all the way through. I've watched it several scenes and tidbits multiple times over and over again, but I haven't have been able to finish the whole thing all the way through for a second time. But I have seen his performances multiple times. And he is a character, Waymond is a character that has a lot of nuance to him that you don't really understand the first time watching this film. Uh, When you watch it a second time and you realize the depth of his character and what his character represents in this film, I think it really made me appreciate his performance more because it's, uh, he's an important character. He's a super important character that represents kindness and a way of viewing life that is so different than what how I view life generally and it's just very a good way of looking at things that he represents and he's not a character without 
sadness. He seems like a very naive character at first when you first watch, very happy, naive. And when you kind of pull back the layers that I think this actor does a great job showing, you really do see a lot more to this character. So so that's who I'm going to give it for, for supporting actor. Okay, I respect that. And yeah, he has been getting a lot from from the awards season. It's great to see because he does do a great performance in there. Mm-hmm. And he's also uh, between the two great comeback performers, him and Brendan Fraser. It's nice to see that. It's very heartwarming to see his return to acting, just like it is for Brendan Fraser. Yes, yeah, it is good to see him come back as well. And hopefully, he's going to get some roles upcoming. And I, mm-hmm. I think he's already said. I don't know if he's planning to continue acting. I mean, I can see like. Yeah, at least ride this train out. Yeah, definitely. I've been I've been seeing some photos too. I saw some photos with him and some other actors and actresses, and he just looks like he's having a, a great time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I'm gonna go with a different pick than most, than probably anybody. And I'm gonna go with uh Albrecht Sh- uh Scho- Sh- Sh- It's German. It's hard to pronounce. But <laughs> I gave you a hint right there. It's German, all quiet on the Western Front. He plays not sure what his rank is, but he's somebody there that's, he's he's already been there for a while. Uh, that's another thing that they get lied to is that they're going to come back in like, I think six or nine months or no, six weeks. They say, hey, you guys be back in six weeks. They end up being there for like near a year. Uh, so he's somebody that was, that was there when the group of kids that we were introduced to, they come in and they meet him and he, he plays a different role. Yes, he has leadership and seniority. But he's actually looking out for these guys. The first uh, leader that they meet, you know, he's that hard uh, sergeant on them, telling them like, "Hey, you gotta fix that. You gotta fix this." He, he's conti- continually giving them advice, and he becomes a friend to them as well. He's one of the ones that that really relate to a lot of the characters, and he he has a lot of good scenes. I think you know both uh, during the the, the tragic times and during the the good times as well. He's a joy to watch. What about your actress? So for me, the best supporting actress category this year, I think that this was the most like jam-packed category for me. I think that of all the acting uh, categories, that this one had the most talent overall in it. Because you had Angela Bassett in Black Panther, Kiki Palmer and Nope, Allison Janney, T. Leslie, Frankie Corio, Aftersun, Lasana Lynch, The Woman King, and so on, so on. There's just been such amazing supporting actress performances this year. It's absolutely insane. But there is one at the beginning of the year I said, you know what, this is going to be my favorite. And it never wavered from that. And that's Stephanie Shu and Everything Everywhere all at once. I think that she gives the best performance in this film overall out of all the actors in this film. I think it's a shame that Jamie Lee Cordes is the one who's getting the most noms in this category because Stephanie Shu she acts circles around Jamie Lee. But, you know, there's a whole lot of politics there that I guess I'm not going to go into right now. But I think her performance was fantastic and she's a theater actress and you can tell in her performance sometimes that more theatrical side comes out but it's appropriate it comes out at appropriate times and when it comes to times that she needs to be softer more emotional she she holds back on that theater side of acting and she brings out more state more film acting that more subtle film acting and it's it's gorgeous i think that she 
her character moved me to tears. There's one particular scene that she has that I've watched uh, clips of over and over again, and it makes me cry every single time just watching her because she's just so powerful in it, and she deserves everything good that comes her way. I agree this was the hardest category. There were some that I thought about. I was like, okay, they're definitely making the list, and I was like, crap, I forgot that this person was this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lynch is one that you mentioned in Woman King. I was watching Woman King. I said this the whole time. I was like, she's going to be my best supporting actress. Mm -hmm. Like she's fantastic in this. She's wonderful. Yeah. And then it ended and I started thinking about the movies. I'm like, crap. I was like, forgot about this person. Uh, So a close pick to yours. uh, It does take place in the same movie, but I have to give it to Jamie Lee Curtis. Get out. Racist. Boo. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. It's it's definitely (laughs) Stephanie uh, Hsu. And I agree. Jamie Lee Curtis, I don't understand. I mean, I understand why she's getting nominated. But if you look at it from performance and not politics, yeah, mm-hmm. it's Stephanie Hsu all the way. She, I, I immediately started looking for her works after I finished this film because I, w- I wanted to see more of her. She's brilliant in this. And yeah, she plays multiple roles and she plays them well. And she, like everything she's doing well from... Her choreography to her body uh, uh, body language performance to her actual speaking of dialogue it's is great and it's and, and Jamie Lee Curtis doesn't do any of that no, yeah you, she you said that she I mean they don't have too many scenes together but yeah you, you know you put them over top of each other she does act circles around her mm-hmm. and I've talked about Jamie Lee's acting in general during our Halloween episode too. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of her as an actress, and she didn't do a bad job at all in Everything Everywhere, but there wasn't as much range for her to act in the role that she had in that movie compared to Stephanie Hsu, so it's a little ridiculous. Like I said, it's politics, Stephanie Hsu's an up-and-comer, yeah, I get it. I mean, I don't like it, and I don't agree with it, but I get it. I understand the politics behind it. Let's get into the leads, and let's go ahead, ladies, first. What was, who was your best actress? This was one that was a little bit harder for me, but I'm going to have to go with Rebecca Hall in Resurrection. Uh, this is kind of a, an out there pick. It's it's a little different than what um, I'm sure people were expecting to hear here. But her performance here, I mean, I think she's a great actress in general, but her performance here, I think, was probably the most haunting I've seen from her and of the performances I've seen this year. Uh she gives a monologue in this film that it, it's in a different film and with a different actress, I would not have liked this monologue. It was a lot of telling instead of showing because she kind of tells the story of her background, but in her hands, and it might be the direction as well, but it's just so haunting. It's so chilling, and I, I absolutely loved her performance in this film. That's a film that I skipped, but uh, I think Rebecca Hall is a great actress, so I can see her giving a worthy performance. Mm-hmm. I- I'm going to go with the, I guess, the mainstream pick here. I'm going to go ahead with the crowd. Uh, I'm going to give it to Kate Blanchett. Oh, that was not what I was expecting. No, who are you expecting? Michelle Yeoh. When you said the mainstream answer. Oh, yeah, I guess Michelle. I'm going with the... Michelle Yeoh is the people's choice. Yeah. I'm going I with mean- the... Critics. I want Michelle Yeoh to win the Oscar. Obviously, when recording this, the Oscars haven't aired yet. I want Michelle Yeoh to win the Oscar, but personally, yeah. I would love for Michelle Yeoh to win. And I saw her make a post and said that a non-white actress hasn't won the award. 
in two decades. I'm well, like, yeah, so that- the only actress of color that has won is Holly Berry, and that's it. That's it? That's it, in that category, yeah. That's it. So it's interesting because Holly Berry is actually coming on as an announcer, and people are saying how messed up it's going to be if they have her announce the best actress and Kate Blanchett wins. That is, yeah, that would be kind of funny, or kind of messed up. But I, I don't know. It's just like, yeah, I I want to give it to I want I want to give it to a non-white actress. But politics aside, I think the performance did come from Kate Blanchett, and like like I said, that interview felt so genuine and it was enthralling mm-hmm. just to watch. And every time she spoke, yeah, it was the dialogue. But man, she just goes from different levels and different tones, and you can tell like when she has different motives. I think she really brought it in. And this is one of the actresses, one of the actors, you know, generally that I agree when they receive a lot of love from the Academy. They're like, I don't agree with Meryl Streep and everything that she receives. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest one. Or Judy Dench last year. But Kate Blanchett, it's, I, I think she's deserving of it. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with you at all. I think that there was a little bit of something missing that took it from being an absolutely great performance for me personally. Uh, but I did really like her performance, and I really love Kate Blanchett. Uh, she was the actor I watched the most movies of last year. So that also might have been a little bit of a uh, problem for me because I felt like I liked her acting a little bit better in other films. But but no, she I mean, she does put on a great performance here. There's, there's no doubt about it. The next category is a bit tougher for me. Oh, actually, uh, real quick, uh, Best Supporting Actor, I do want to give a shout out to Brian Tyree Henry. Yes, 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 yes. I forgot to mention him as well as one of my, like, runner-ups. <laughs> yeah, he was definitely a contender for me. I think he's a fantastic actor, and he uh, he elevated Causeway for me. Yeah, I wasn't really feeling Causeway too much until he showed up. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm glad to see all the work that he's getting. Uh, actually, we talked about it before. Everybody from Atlanta, the the, the core four, are mm-hmm. getting a lot of um a lot of uh, work. Good, well deserved. Although I do have to say, he annoyed the hell out of me in Bullet Train, and that almost went under my films that make me angry. For as much as he mentioned Thomas the Tank Engine, <laughs> that that whole movie just it ruined everything <laughs> for me. Because you also Gosh. have um, uh, Zazie Beetz in there and Aaron Taylor Johnson. Ugh. That movie, if we had like a, the like waste of potential award, that's the one. Oh, absolutely. Like you had a great setup for a fantastic action film full of a variety of borderline absurd roles. Yeah, totally. God, you you got me off track on that one. Um, (laughs) for best for best actor, ah man, I wanted to give it to Paul Mescal so bad. So wait, hold on. Did you say your best actor already? No, not yet. Oh, wait. Go go ahead with your uh, best actor. I'm going to give it to Paul Mescal <laughs> from After Sun. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was my choice. I, I feel like the best acting categories for me were a little bit weaker uh, this year. but And they were weak the previous year, too, if I remember correctly. But Paul Mescal, the nuances that he brings to his character in the depiction of mental illness, I, I thought was well done. And I can't wait to see more from Paul Mescal. So he's my, my favorite actor. 
this one was the toughest category out of all of them for me. Not just added, like everything. Like even after I say this, I'm probably going to change it up. And when I change it up, I'm going to change it up again. Because it just, <laughs> it goes back and forth. But Paul Pascal, yeah, he was fantastic. But I, again, got to go with the, uh, with, with who a lot of people are praising. And that's Brendan Fraser. I think he did, you know, I'm not giving it just because, you know, he went in prosthetics. That's not the, it's not the reason I'm giving it to him. But it's another character that just has so many levels of emotion and he works through them so well. And I mean, he's kind of the holder of the tone. The tone in this movie, The Whale, is honestly, it bounces all over the place or it bounces from two places and it feels uneven. But when he's on screen, like that's when I feel like, okay, this is what the tone should be. This is the benchmark right here that everything else is is missing or is going over or going under. But he's like really holding this this down. And it's very impressive. I'm not just saying that because everybody's on that train right now. I mean, I'm glad he's he's back. I've been happy to see him since he was announced for Doom Patrol. And you know, first season, I was, it was it was great to see him back. And he was doing a wonderful performance then. So this is kind of the movie that I've also been waiting for for him as well. Like to really show himself as a dramatic actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Paul Mescal is, is fantastic too. I, I don't want to, they, they come so close. Uh, Paul, I mean, that movie, that's a movie too that like without him and the way that he portrayed it, it he kind of had to be like so pinpoint with it that if he was just off a little bit, it would have thrown the movie, wouldn't have thrown the movie completely off, but we would have missed a bit of how great it actually was. Yeah. And The Whale is a film that I didn't get a chance to watch just because of time. Um, I, I don't know that this is the way that I would have liked Brendan Fraser's comeback. I don't know that the plot of this film really does it for me. And of course, there's been a lot of controversy as far as the prosthetics and the fat suit. And I, I wish that that wasn't surrounding this performance because I feel like he deserved the comeback that, you know, didn't have all those conversations surrounding it and i wish that he had come with a film that had a different plot but that said i i I do look forward to i will watch this and i do look forward to seeing it and i i never had any doubts that brendan fraser was a good actor and could pull off such an emotional performance so i I mean i do look forward to seeing his acting for sure his comeback yeah i was hoping for i was hoping for another movie this isn't really that's probably why i held off on this Mm-hmm. wasn't too excited for this film. And I was like, oh, man, I wish you kind of picked something something else. But, hey, it's, it's a bold pick, and I think he does it well. Yeah, we talk about the, the body prosthetics. Uh, and there's a lot of conversation around this. But I, at least from what I've been seeing, it's mostly been positive with him. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I, I think that we are going to uh, – I know he's in the Martin Scorsese film. Uh, sadly, Bat, Batgirl, Batwoman was canceled, Batgirl. But – He's going to get more roles and just continue Definitely. to look forward to seeing him. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to see Sadie Sink in this as well because she's like an actress that I think has a lot of potential once she gets uh, out of the Stranger Things world. I'd, I'm sorry. I got to I gotta let you know. No. Don't don't go in expecting too much. It's She's not well directed. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. she. I think she's still a good actress. I just think Darren Aronofsky, I don't know, maybe doesn't know how to direct children. Mm, maybe. maybe he's not the best performance director because I have okay. problems in uh, Mother that I didn't finish. Gotcha. And I also heard that this film, The Whale, feels very 
like a stage play as well. Yeah, I can see that. So that might also contribute to it. I mentioned the director just now, kind of the one that's, no, is there one of the main people that's moving this performance? I wanted to, I was trying not to say directing. So that's why I paused. I was like, what's another word for directing? Like, moving. <laughs> uh, Caitlin, who do you give the best director award to? Uh, I'm between two for this one, but I think I'm going to give it to Jordan Peele in Nope. Uh, I think that this movie just comes together really well and we know that he's a good director. Like we've had this conversation with Gout. He's, he's a great director. The performances that he got out of these actors were great. The vision that he saw, uh, was what he was able to give across. I saw a clip of him and what he was doing as far as direction in the, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a scene that's very claustrophobic with a lot of people. And I, I saw a, a clip of him um, acting as director during that scene and what he wanted and how he was able to articulate what he wanted was, was really well done. And that scene came across so well. Um, so he really impressed me there. I think my, my backup choice was going to be Park Chan-wook for Deser- Decision to Leave because that's another film that I think the performances and the visual language that he wanted to bring across just came out so wonderfully. A, des- a Decision to Leave was mine for a while. Nope, I definitely respect that. They're, man, he's a visionary and he pulled it off. He, the movie's all about creating a spectacle and he created a spectacle in multiple ways and he was the the subversion he does in just direction alone is amazing mm-hmm. yep for me uh this shouldn't really come to too much of a surprise it's going to be edward berger who directed all quiet on the western front i've talked about this film okay. a lot technically <laughs> that's how you pronounce his name it's burger. No, 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 that's not what I was, I was, I thought you were going to say James Cameron, and I was about to argue, but okay, I'll allow this. <laughs> okay, I'll get to James Cameron in a second. You mentioned it before, and I had one major point that I think you understood why where I was coming from. I think so, and it's probably the reason why I'm not including James Cameron. <laughs> There's a couple reasons. I'll get to James Cameron in a bit. <laughs> no, Edward Berger, the director of All Quiet on the Western Front, I want to keep repeating the same thing, but... For, for it to create that that balance and tone of the beauty and grit and uh, just the other technical aspects and to create all the different levels of emotion that was brought out from you know from from the, the scenes of battle to the uh, scenes of the characters interacting it, it, it was all you know very much made possible by by the director and then I sometimes like when you look at a film, technically, yes, a lot of parts. And I, I think the director, you know, they have some control over it. Now, I'm not going to get like, yeah, the cinematography is great. I'm not going to give it to the best director just because I like the cinematography so much. But I do have to commend, I'd have to give the director credit for bringing all those pieces together. James Cameron was one that I was thinking about for a while. But so much of that, it's, it's hard to say, like, how much is his actual direction and what is visual effects? And also, you made a good point to me about you have to remember the performances. And there's there's a controversy with this film when it comes to the depiction of Native Americans because that's who the Navi is based on. And the kind of like savage performance they give the Navi in this movie is kind of stereotypical, uh, a stereotypical presentation of, of Natives. 
And I want to say it was so much savage like, but it was just like, why, why are you doing this? There's a moment where they're just sticking out their tongues and bouncing around and it doesn't do, I don't know. It's just I, like, I see why people have a problem with it. You know, I'm not going to say I'm personally offended, but I see why people have a problem and it does take you out of the film for a second. Uh, Caitlin, you said there's something that you were going to bring up if I had brought James Cameron into the discussion, if I did actually say he was my favorite. Yeah, because I know you had mentioned that before, and I said, well, were the performances good? And you said, eh. And I said, well, I think one of the major jobs of directing is directing actors. And so I don't think you can be a good director and have poor acting performances. And personally. it's not, I mean, I, th- I think most of the acting is good in this, because that, that was done by, like, a crowd of actors. I think Zoe Solda, um Zoe, I forgot how to pronounce her name. So Donna, yeah. yeah, she, I think sometimes can go over the top. I also had issues with, uh, with the Marines in this film again, like this is some of the worst soldier performance, like soldier, like performances that I've seen. And just, I blame more of the writing and it's weird because James Cameron is so technical and that's where I give him credit. I'm like, man, not only does he create a world and he creates these machines and he creates this environment, but he creates it in a way that it makes sense in it it would actually work if it was uh if it was if it could actually be created like okay i can see how this would be done like he he goes in such detail with it that it's surprising he doesn't go in such detail with it when it goes into writing and to actually learning what soldiers are about like the the soldiers they have there's a way that they do their communications their tactics i'm like man this is this is actually like on actual level of tactics that are done in the military. But then it's like he never actually sat down with soldiers. And the only mm-hmm. thing that he ever seen soldiers interacting in has been G.I. Joe. Because they're mm-hmm. just saying some of the most cliche Marine Corps things that you can think of. And I'm not just talking gotcha. about hoorah. I'm talking about just some... Like, there's a scene where one of the Navi, they're having this meeting. Or not the Navi, the Marine. And they're sitting there and they're doing curls with a dumbbell. Spent nine and a half years. There's no one ever just randomly doing curls. Most of the time, everybody's tired. <laughs> They're usually like talking about something stupid or trying to get some sleep. And yeah. soldiers, soldiers usually do dumb things. All right. You know, more so the Marines. But, uh, sorry, just a quick jab. <laughs> yeah. It, and then there's just uh, the story structure just does not make a lot of sense. And I think that he has so much that he wanted to do that he had to take out. And not everything was completely cleaned up. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, like, uh, uh, I'm going to talk about how I really feel about this movie later. But a lot of, like, what I like technically was done with the visuals, which I know he had a presence in, a heavy presence mm-hmm. in. But I don't know if that's from, like, him as a director or him as a visual effects artist. And I feel like that kind of complicates things. But even if he was, even if I was to say, like, hey, that's, him as a director was able to control that. It, it still doesn't beat out my best director. Okay. Gotcha. Another category that we're adding to this year, the last category uh, edition, we're going to talk about some hidden gems. I, th- I think we found more hidden gems this year because we we were actually, throughout the year, we were more conscious of the movies that we wanted to see for this episode. We've been thinking about this episode yeah. all year. We wanted to make sure that we've seen all the films and not do what we did the year prior and try <laughs> to shove it all in like a month. So we were we were checking out uh, a lot of things. So just a quick rundown, not going to go into a full discussion about them. 
Caitlin, what are some movies that you found that most people did not hear about? Uh, the first one, it's a shame that people haven't heard a lot about it, is The Wonder on Netflix. It's a wonderful movie by with Florence Pugh that, you know, Netflix marketing just irritates me because this should have gotten more attention. Um, so check that out. Another one is a Brazilian movie called Mars One. That is a wonderful family tale. On Showtime, you have a love song uh, starring Dale Dickey. It's a short, sweet a uh, romantic movie uh, with an older couple. I think that was, uh, if you're looking for something short, check that one out. Uh, another one I really liked was Leonora Will Never Die. It's a Filipino movie that uh, gives a great homage to Filipino action movies. And I personally don't know a lot about that, but it definitely made me want to watch more of it. And another rom-com that got some hype at the beginning of the year, but then kind of died out, was Cha-Cha Real Smooth. That's available on Apple+. Plus. That's a really good movie. I, I did really enjoy that. I can understand why it was a little divisive for people who don't particularly like that director, but it, it was a good movie. And then finally, for Hidden Gems, we have The Fallout, which we did talk about extensively. Good picks, good picks. Some of them I have seen and some of them I have not. For me, I'm going to start with The Roundup. Now, this is a sequel to a 2017 movie called The Outlaws. Uh, this is a fantastic action film. I believe it's uh, a Korean film, another Korean cop film, which we've been seeing a couple of. And Caitlin, I know you said today uh, on our chat that you want to take a look into actually how Korean police operate because yeah, it, it, it's kind of crazy, uh, at least what we've seen in film. And this movie, you'll start questioning a lot of things or you just give up on the search after seeing this <laughs> film. Uh, this is a... Man, these two... It was great finding this movie and being able to watch these movies back to back. So I, yeah, this this is this is a great action film. It's on Tubi for free. I think Tubi does have ads. Uh, this one did get some praise, but I still feel like it was a hidden gem. And, and it's, it's Black Phone. I think mm, this was a, yeah. I think this was a good horror movie, and it has some great performances in it as well. Uh, especially from somebody else, I was kind of considering for best supporting actress uh the one uh who plays uh winnie or Ginny in this mm -hmm, mm -hmm. little girl fantastic yeah she was fantastic uh this movie i know caitlin you you said it wasn't your humor you said you were like amused but didn't really work for you and and i think yeah it's I mean comedy is subjective and this will work for some people and not work for some people and that's weird the al yakovic story uh this is a parody to the biopic dramas definitely parody none of this is some of this is real not all of it not a lot of it uh, I, I still had a lot of fun with this movie. I've been seeing a lot of people uh, having fun with this movie. And it is on Roku. So that's why I think not many too, too many people are like watching it. Because Roku? Roku. See, I don't even know the name of it. Everybody else was just kind of going with it. What the heck is Roku? Roku? Is that a Pokemon? <laughs> Pokemon hosting movies now? I choose you. <laughs> uh, the next is The Vengeance or Vengeance. My apologies. Mm -hmm. This movie came out of nowhere. Like I saw the trailer for this in theaters a week before it came out, and I I very much uh, enjoyed this movie. Uh, it's by B J Novak, uh, who is a first time screenwriter, and this is why I was disagreeing with that with the uh, Spirit Awards. I don't think he's a first time screenwriter. Well, for film, yeah, for film, yes, but he's not. I, he's definitely not new to the writing world. Yeah, not new to the writing world. So that's why I think maybe. But I didn't agree with the other choice that could have been replaced with this, no matter what. Uh, the Fallout, which we talked about extensively, and Fresh, which came out at the beginning of the year. Yeah, Fresh. I really liked Fresh as well. We watched that together. Yeah. Yeah, that was great dancing in that as well. I, 
I love a random dance scene. <laughs> I I love an absurd dance scene. The Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. Uh, to After think of Yang some... has a great intro dance scene, which I did not like that movie, but that scene is phenomenal. Yeah, that's another. I think that's probably like the most hidden gem horror movie. Yeah. So those are our hidden gems. Go ahead and and check those out. If you've seen all these other films, or you know you need a little break from the heavy hitters, go ahead and watch these films. We're gonna go ahead and before we get to our number one film of the year. Honorable mentions for best picture. Caitlin, what do you have? Uh, My honorable mentions, the first one is Fire Island for me. It's not anything that's reinventing the wheel. It's a Pride and Prejudice remake. And it doesn't really go too far outside the box. But I have to give it props because uh, it is a love story between two men. It's um, one of the bigger... uh, gay films lgbt films that we've had this year and it's just fantastic it's a really fantastic movie i really enjoyed this movie i really loved it it just made me happy and it's definitely was one of my higher ranked films of the year uh also another higher ranked film that i had this year was the woman king the woman king probably is now my favorite action movie of this past year and uh it's not groundbreaking with its structure uh the story i think is something new refreshing that we haven't seen but the structure itself isn't completely groundbreaking so that's what kind of prohibited it from being in my top five but it's something that i think we needed to see i think it's very similar to a lot of other movies that we've seen but we've never had an all black female cast leading that type of movie and so that was that was just wonderful to see as well and like you said Lashana lynch in this film is phenomenal and i hope to see her in more roles outside of marvel uh coming forward and also gina prince blywood she really came on my radar this year because we watched love and basketball but i also didn't realize that she also directed the old guard which is the first comic book movie directed by a black female director and going forward after the woman king i really do want to see more movies more action movies in particular from her i mentioned that she was the first black director of old guard on the show yeah, I think you did, but I forgot about it. <laughs> I, yeah. Like, I remembered it then. Like, I'm not just, just now heard about it, but, like, I when the old guard came out, I didn't know that. And I didn't really make that connection until then. Gotcha. Good old Gina Price by the wood. <laughs> uh, my honorable mentions for best picture, the two that I want to mention first were ones that I was really ready to put in my top five. Like, I was, I was debating heavily on it. Uh, the first one's going to be Vengeance. I I really enjoyed this movie. I really enjoyed this screenplay. Uh, the next one is going to... Oh, also, just a quick shout out to Ashton Kutcher, who surprised me in this movie. Yeah, same. He did. He I, I would like to well. see more with Ashton Kutcher in serious roles. Same. Uh, he did a really good job. It did surprise me as well. And he has some of the... the like Again, this is a, a screenplay with some great dialogue, and he has some things that he say are, are really, really uh, profound and prerogative. So... Yeah, I would just like to see him with more work like this. You know, yeah, before people were trying to use him so much for comedy, and we we see that a lot. But like when they grow up later on, like Matthew McConaughey, they get more into these serious roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The next one that I was debating hard with was the Roundup. This is just a. You said that Woman <clears throat> King was your favorite action movie last year. The Roundup was for me, and 
it sucks that I may not get a sequel from this. The last sequel was 2017, five years before this one. I can probably put this on my wish list next to to Raid 3 that I may never get. Yeah, the Roundup and the Outlaws were actually films that I really wanted to watch and just didn't have the time. Or I kept forgetting about it, but I I will will definitely have to watch that at some point. Yeah, you'll like them. I figure at this point we'll just wait till you can sit down me and Coleman both and force us to watch it. (laughs) Coleman's already seen it. We've had a whole conversation. I thought he said he hadn't seen it yet. No, he said he has seen it, and then we took it to a we took into a private chat. Oh, I thought he was lying. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, that's also why we took it to private chat. I started quizzing him. Uh, the Woman King is next up on my list. This summer. I just want to these these other movies. I just want to give an honorable mention as to they were great films. The Woman King was surprising to me. I thought this was going to be your regular blockbuster, but it turned out to be more than that. Triple R, R R R. It's a movie that I really like. I know we don't feel the same, Caitlin, or you didn't feel the same with the rest of the world. <laughs> but I I enjoy this movie. This movie has a fantastic dance scene. Again, you're weird for not loving this dance sequence. But th- this is like one of the ultimate bromance movies ever. We talked about it on the show before when it comes to the Cornetto trilogy. Mm-hmm. This movie right here, this is this is some good bro bromancing going on. Prey. There's another one I have to give credit to. Says the best franchise inclusion. Uh, and, and overall, it's just a great film. Now, this next one. I want to be clear with something. Because if you're going to come in and fight me, because it's some misinformation, you got to hear the whole thing out. All right? All right? <laughs> somebody come at me. And they didn't hear the whole story. Or Caitlin says she told her the I whole story. I did tell her the whole story. And that's not the way she came at me. <laughs> Avatar is one of the... Most phenomenal movies I've seen and my favorite theater experience. I saw this in IMAX, and I think if you see this in IMAX and Dolby, this is just something that I've never seen in film before, and I really do want to go back and see it again. Like, I, it's just, it's it's crazy. And I'm not asking for all films to do this, because I know so much work went into this, but it was, like, I really, and, and when I go back, though, I'm thinking about making a playlist and putting my earphones in and just sitting back and watching the movie. Because honestly, the story's not great. The movie's not great. You put this on like a regular screen in front of you, I don't think this is going to be enjoyable. But seeing it up there in one of the best ways, I know Dolby's better than IMAX. I don't I don't have the option here. But man, it is such a great film. And usually I see IMAX for the, um, uh, for the sound. Because after a while, like the visuals for me, they 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 even out like I'm first amazed and then I'm like all right you know we got we got that out but here is just points I'm watching the film and I just think to myself again like this this looks amazing like I just never you never seen water in this way and that's another reason why I'll give this uh I'll give James Cameron credit is because of the hard work that him and the more so the actors put into this. Uh, we talk, We praise Top Gun Maverick for the work that the actors and actresses put in to do that actual G-Force training and the workouts that they did. And I think it kind of went past with some people for this film when it came to the actors and actresses. Like, I think with Top Gun, it was kind of praised for like, oh, man, you guys are real driven to James Cameron being seen as kind of ridiculous having them hold their breath for so long. But no, it shows on the film, and we're probably not going to get something like this again, which is why I want to see it. Is it a good movie? No. Is the story good? No. It has a lot of plot holes. Is the dialogue good? No. It's super cheesy 
And sometimes it just does not make sense. Uh, but again, visually, this is just, it's, it's a spectacle, as one would say. Mm-hmm. So if you come at me and you're going to say, how <laughs> can you possibly think Avatar is a fantastic movie? All right, one, I didn't say that, okay? Or I did, but I said visually fantastic. And two, if you come <clears> to me and you say the visuals weren't all that great, but you saw the movie on your TV screen, even if you have the best TV in the line, all right, it's not, it's not the same. We, we didn't have the same experience, all right? You pretty much read a yeah, book Yeah, I have heard that reviews, though, of people who did see it the way you saw it and did not like the visuals because it felt, especially with the frame rate, it felt too video gamey. Uh, yeah, I remember we were talking about that, and I was I questioned if the person's eyes were able to actually adjust because at first it took a minute for my... I wasn't liking it for, like, the first 10 minutes, and my eyes finally got adjusted to it because... This is like some of the most real 3D. Like it wasn't just one person that said that. I've seen a couple of reviews that said that. Okay. I I don't know. Me and Devin, we saw that movie and it looked great. And I don't want to put doubt in question too much. I mean, look, it's my opinion. It's what I saw. What I saw was great. And you know, I usually, yeah. when it comes to visuals, like I see fine details. Uh, so that's why, I don't know. That's why I'm probably being more defensive because like I know I see things. Like mm-hmm. and and Devin too because also I mean we can tell when we're playing a game if we go into like uh, perf- uh if we go into quality mode over performance like that frame rate we'll recognize right away yeah. from the new gen uh from the new gen to the old gen mm-hmm. and and neither of us had a issue with that at all yeah like I said I think it's probably just a preference thing could be don't, yeah don't come at me swinging again I want to be caught I want to be blindsided. The whole story, again, Caitlin, you say you told <laughs> her everything. With the vis- I did. But my thing with the visuals is that it's just not going to work for me because I don't like the character design. Yeah, see, that's a different thing. I I mean, I can't say anything on that. I've never, I mean, I've heard that for different movies and shows, like the TMNT series on Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. A lot of people said they couldn't get into that character model. And for me, a lot of times, I do have problems with character models, but after watching it for a bit, I get, like... I, I don't know if I get used to it, if I settle for it, but it doesn't, mm. there's a moment that I'm, I like it. See, it's the same thing for me. It's like with anime. Like if I don't like the art style, then that's just it for me. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can eventually get used to it. Yeah, it's harder for me, I think, to get past it. But like, like Attack on Titan, like I don't like the art style there. I wouldn't say it's poor art. I would say it's still well designed. And I can recognize that, but at the same time, I'm never going to like the way it looks, the way that someone who prefers that art style will. I don't prefer it. I, I mean, I like. I don't think it's the best, and maybe it gets better as the seasons go along. I know season three definitely has better animation. I would have to mm-hmm. look at season two again, and then season four, map us behind it. So it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, like I said, technically doesn't change preference, is what I'm saying. All right, it is time for the number one film of the year. Caitlin, what is it going to be? I think you already know what it is. For me, it's everything, everywhere, all at once. To be honest, I completely forgot that it hasn't been in your top five. I was thinking decision to leave, but I was like, you gave that four stars, not four and a half. Yeah. The only five stars I gave this year was to Everything, Everywhere, All at Once and After Sun. Those are the only two five stars I awarded this year. And I think it's well-deserved. Everything, All at Once... 
I don't think that we can even fully grasp how impactful this film is at this point in time. And I don't think we've had enough time away from it. I'm so curious to see down the road how we look back at this film. And I think it's going to be a groundbreaking achievement, not just for representation, which the representation is huge. If Michelle Yeoh wins Best Actress, it's going to be even bigger. It's uh, impact there. But I think as far as filmmaking as a whole... And what you're able to do in filmmaking, I I just think that this is a game changer. I watched this and I thought, wow, like this changes everything. I think the type of story that can be told, the way it's received by the audience, the way in which we tell stories with the absurdity and the visuals combined with such depth of emotion and depth of feeling and thinking, I think that it's something that we just haven't seen in cinema for so long and I think that the way the Daniels are able to put it together is something that really hasn't been done before and I just like I said I think this is going to be groundbreaking cinema and I think the way that we look back on this film is just going to be so interesting to see in years to come and as far as my personal enjoyment of this film this film impacted me a lot harder than I thought it was going to. This film, while I didn't say this in my category for films that made me cry, this film almost had me bawling in the theater. It hit me so hard. It it gutted me. It hurt. The way this film portrays generational trauma, uh, the way it portrays mental illness and mental illness that is inherited from your parent and shared between parent and particularly mother and daughter just absolutely floored me. The worldviews that it tackles was insane. It's something that I am drawn towards in stories with generational trauma, but stories also that challenges the way that you look at things, the way you view the world around you, and the attitudes you have around it. It is things I'm drawn towards, and it just this film was just fantastic. I, I, I hate to put you down, Brian, but I honestly don't agree that any film can top with this as far as long-term impact and the way that this changed the game. And we can see that it did change the game just for the amount of times this came out in theater. For a film this small to have had such successes that it's had, and this came out beginning of the year too so it should have been long forgotten by now but just the impact like I can understand the story maybe not resonating with you the style not resonated with you but from a filmmaking perspective I think Fat Fist deserves to be absolutely lauded and like I said it's it, it is a great film and I think just all the films in my top five are all near perfect films and this is the only one out of the top five that it just stopped at a point for me before picking back up. Yeah, I, I never had that with this film. I never had that once with this film. But it's it's all personal preference, yeah. But like I said, personal preference aside and what you feel about the story aside, I just, like I said, I think that this is the one film that came out this year that there's nothing else like it. And there may never be something else like it, but I do hope that filmmakers continue to learn from it. I think that this is one of the, no, not one of the, this is the most original film of 
last year. That's, yeah, without a doubt, definitely. As far as the long-term impact, I think this is going to make studios and distributors take more risk with films and, and not just rely on whatever the current trend is. I think people would take more risk, but as far as a longer impact, I actually, I think this isn't going to be as well received with the years to come. I think this movie is going to lose hype and I think it's still going to be a great film. I think it's still going to be a great film. I just think that not everybody's going to be giving it the the five out of five, hundred percent treatment. I think people are going to be like, Hey, this, this could have been fixed. This, this didn't hold up, uh, and that's kind of where I'm at. And that's kind of where I felt throughout the, the year as well. But yeah, I think this is one of the best films of the year. And I will not argue with anybody who says this is the number one. I definitely yeah. see why. I I just highly disagree with you because I think that this, I don't know. I'm curious to look back at it years to come and see like the stylistic choices, the cinematography, the costume, the makeup just everything that came into this film. Oh, the costumes were so great. Yeah, they're great. And I think that all of that's going to hold up in the same way that any pioneer filmmaker has held up because I do think this is a pioneer film. I, I think this film is, is going to be something we talk about just throughout film. It, it has a staple in film. I just think that it's going to lose some favorability. That's me. Kind of like, I don't know, kind of like Godfather Part 2. I thought that film was fantastic, and then I watched it recently, and I'm like, oh, there's actually some things that aren't so great with it. But but again, we're arguing about the future. Mm-hmm. We're, we're discussing the future. We can't really say what's going to, to happen. Ten years down the line when we're doing our next podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll see, you know, years come down. We got this recorded. We'll see what happens. A bunch <laughs> of news headlines going ahead talking about everything, everywhere, all at once. Does it really hold up? And I think, too, it just has an untraditional structure. And I think that's something that we've seen throughout time. You've seen it with the French New Wave, is that when you have something that challenges the way that we structure films, it we use that. We come back to that. Things take influence from that. It, does, it may not seem like a direct influence, but it is. So that's another reason why I just think that, you know... I, I just don't think that we can imagine the impact this film has. And I think that there's a lot of people who watch this movie and they came out of it thinking, I want to be a filmmaker because this was something that I would have never imagined. And so I think that, I don't know, I'm just, I'm interested in seeing it. And that's a big reason why it's, other than the personal impact, why I think that this deserves to be number one for me. Well, guys, continue to uh, to listen See who is correct. And if you're from the future, go ahead and leave us a message and let us know. Yes, please. All you time travelers out there, please let us know. Yeah. With proof. All right, don't just come in and be like, Brian's right. Without proof. <laughs> now, my number one film of the year, which you probably know, and that is going to be After Sun. Mm-hmm. After Sun is just, I mean, I don't even know what, what else to say about this film. I've already <laughs> said so much. I guess maybe I haven't talked about the music enough. The music's great. All right. <laughs> this is a film that is fantastic, too. I watched the trailer and still went in and was surprised by so much about how mm-hmm. this movie just developed. This is, man, this is a fantastic movie. Really is. Uh, it, yeah. Yeah, it was my number one pick for a reason. It was my number two pick for a reason, I mean. 
And yeah, I mean, I watched this. I watched it. We watched it about the same time, right? So I watched it through the, the A24. Yeah, I watched it through the A24 screening room. And I had heard, oh, this is such a good movie. This is such a good movie. But I just wasn't prepared for how good it was. <laughs> and I think we like text each other. It's like, are you okay? <laughs> yeah, we were definitely, definitely checked up on each other after watching that because <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't expecting much either. The only reason I, I found this movie is because I was looking at the calendar for the movies that are going to be playing, and I saw At the Sun in the title. I, I didn't know about it, so I was like, well, mm-hmm. let me see what this is. And I saw some good stuff about it, and then I watched the trailer, and I said, all right, let me go. You know, Dev and I get, went and checked it out, and it turned out to be an amazing film. And kudos to making that the dance scene work, because it was something I was wondering in the film. I was like, I was like, all right, I get it. The dance and the dance floor is a metaphor I was like, I don't, but hey, it worked into the story it, when it kept going. And yeah, it's it's actually probably one of like the most emotional uh, impactors in this. Yeah. Uh, and also speaking of trends, I think Bardo also had a brief dance queen moment. Like, sorry, a dance moment to a queen song. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you meant dan- like the dancing <laughs> queen song. Yeah, no, 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 not that song. But a dancing moment to Queen playing. And then I thought there was another film, too, that also had that. That was another trend, but I can't think of what the other film was. Mm, Can't think of it. So those are our categories. Before we go ahead and talk about what we would like to see in 2023, we're just going to have a quick discussion about it. Not too much longer. Uh, Mm -hmm. Go Hey, if you disagree with any of these, if you think we missed anything, go ahead Message us. Let us know. Caitlin, 2022 is over. Now we are kind of in 2023 already, but we have much more to go. What is? What do you want to see in 2023? More Paul Mezcal and Kiki Palmer. <laughs> yes, and I think we're going to get that. Yeah, I think so too. Although she just, I think she just had a baby, so maybe not so much from Kiki Palmer, but I'm hoping so. She was on SNL uh, when, while she was pregnant. Oh, okay. Well then, yeah. And hopefully she continues. <laughs> Uh, I also want to see more from female directors like Gina Prince-Blythewood. Uh, Mia Hansen-Love is also a female director. I watched her movie One Fine Morning that came out this past year, and I watched her film Bergman Island from the past year. And and she's a director I, I want to watch, but in general, I just want to see more of these female directors, especially these up-and-comers. I know the actress who directed Shiva Baby has a film coming out, I think, this year, and so that's just something I'm, I'm just really hype about. Uh, also, the director from who did The Nanny, which is another hidden gem i didn't really talk too much about um she just won a spirit award from an up-and-comer award and so I, I think there's some really good talent coming out and we'll hopefully see more from them uh, another thing i want to see less of is movies about the rich <laughs> i think i'm done with this trend i think we can get on to some newer trends hopefully um hopefully we continue the good horror streak that we've had and then lastly, I want to see continued accessibility for films. I want to see uh, more indie films in theaters. I want to see how the streaming landscape's going to be because that's been changing. And it's kind of in a precarious situation right now, the whole streaming landscape. But I hope that it uh, continues to do well. I hope that it changes my expectations of what I'm thinking about the streaming landscape is going to be like. And I hope that Netflix and hopefully other films will start adopting more foreign films as well. You mentioned things that you don't want to see. I don't want to see a Disney remake, but I have to. <laughs> we got Peter and Wendy and the Little Mermaid, but 
Hey, nothing I can do about it. I would like to see... Oh, and no more Pinocchio. All right. Oh my gosh, no more are, Pinocchio. Are we done? <laughs> Please. <laughs> what the heck is up with this quota? Did we miss it like for years or something? And like Everybody was like, oh crap, we got to get Pinocchio movies out there. <sighs> I would like to see better American action this year. I think American yeah. action is starting to lack. I think it's starting to get uh, mm-hmm. cookie cutter. The, the Woman King I like, but I think some of the choreography was off. But I think it's more so because it's PG-13, yeah. uh, a PG-13 movie. So there was just like some slashes that I saw. I'm like, uh, your blade. There was one slash where the blade was turned over. I know John Wick is coming out this year, which I'm excited for, but a little bit worried about because of the length. Uh, I did like the third one. It's like two hours and 45 minutes. Oh, really? Yeah. For the first one, I think it was an hour and a half. Yeah. There's no reason for an action movie to be that long. We've talked about this. (laughs) Yeah. And then John Wick 2, I did not like. And one of the things I didn't like about John Wick 2 was... Not because of the lack of action. I just, I don't think Keanu Reeves is that great of a dramatic actor. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that movie focused, and it's not just him, it's just all the drama in, in that movie. I I don't think held up to the, the action that they're portraying. I agree. Which is weird. Again, we're supposed to be film snobs, but here I am saying, hey man, focus on the action. All right. <laughs> the drama is just, it ain't working. But maybe they, uh, but maybe they can pull it off. They do interesting things with it. I think Bullet Train was really disappointing in the American mm-hmm. action or yeah. British action. I don't know. Uh, and I know that director. I think he has something coming out this year as well. I don't. I don't like him as a director. To be honest. I want to see more. I want to see father son relationships. I feel like twenty twenty one we got a lot of mother do- mother daughter, and this year we got father daughter from the whale and. After Son, we even got some mother, son, and to Leslie. I want to see father-son relationships, and not that yeah. I want to see them from different directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, we got a father-daughter relationship in The Boys, season three, which was really? a, a great one. Yeah, it's actually how they wrap that up. That's probably the best character arc in that uh, in that movie. Hmm. I mean, in that in that TV show. The show, yeah. But I want to see more father-son relationships, and I'm not talking about just the the hardened dad that's trying to teach his boy to be a man. I, I mm-hmm. want to see I want to see a little something different. There, I mean, there's other things to talk about. All right, take it from yeah. experience. All right, believe it or not, I have a dad. All right, I mean, <laughs> it's not all. It's, that's not all what it is about. It's not like every day he's calling me up like, "Hey, do you uh you cut down that tree yet?" Mm-hmm. No, you, there's there's other things that go into the father-son relationship, and I'd like to see that explored more this year. I would like to see another country make their mark in film. I think Korea has made their mark. Uh, we've been getting a lot of films from them. They've been getting praise. They've been getting their their hype. I would like to see more uh, films from other countries. I think Asia, just in general, you know, Michelle Yeoh and Stephanie Hsu, they they a lot of them begin to respect and key uh and key. I'm just gonna say key. I already forgot the the rest. But I would like to see another another country come out and and show what they're about. Pretty sure some of them are American. <laughs> What's that? So I'm pretty sure some of them are American. <laughs> yeah, hey, it's Hollywood. I mean, but but we've been seeing the Korean movies. Yeah, but uh, but this, but but saying like the actors of of different countries. I don't mean so much from the different countries. I guess. Yeah, just from the countries that are producing movies. From a producing standpoint, that's what I want yeah, to see. Yeah, I more. understand what you're saying. You just lost you, me you with get, the me? Michelle Yeoh and that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I kind of love. Anyway, that goes to my next <laughs> thing, though. I want to continue to naturally add diversity. I want to see that more, and that's kind of where I was mm-hmm. going with Michelle Yeoh and Stephanie Shu. I think 
Asians uh, with Fire Island as well are starting to come forth outside of stereotypical roles. Of course, black people already have been. I think I think the Latinx community, Latinos, Latinas, I think there's still there's still room for for them to come forth. I still think that Hollywood is putting them to the back. Uh, I think Native Americans, Indians, I, I think we're still we're still missing groups. Mm-hmm. And when I say naturally add, I mean naturally. It, like sometimes I'm not gonna lie, I'm all for sometimes I agree with the recasting, or sometimes I'm like, it doesn't make a difference. And then there's other times I'm like Dude, that wasn't necessary. You did this, and it's, if anything, is giving more fuel for the the opposition to push. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to defend when I myself don't agree with that recasting, when I see it as a diversity hire. Especially one that can be offensive in itself, if it's a role that can be offensive towards that race, if they recast it. Yeah, yeah. So that's why you got you to do it naturally. And... This is one that I've seen recently. I've seen it this year too. Service providers. I want to see better representation of service providers. Actually, I saw two movies this year. And there was a, uh, some movies last year with service and health providers. I'm talking about social work services, uh, uh, emergency services, therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists. Service workers. What did that say? Service providers? They provide yeah, I'm services. Think, I'm thinking and Verizon. They work services. I really want to see a really good Verizon and T-Mobile movie. <laughs> Hey, they do not get the representation they need either. All right, they get no representation. These other ones, service workers. Yeah, I guess service providers sell your data. Anyway, I I just I've been seeing a lot where like they've been used to kind of represent the opposing society. Uh, we saw it in Smile. They had the they had the cop who was saying that the the victim was crazy. They were a nutcase. They were out of their mind. No detective would talk like that in front of, in, in, in front of the public, in, in front of somebody who actually works with those people. Like, that's just absurd. And like I've worked with plenty of social work services, and they're actually they're some of the greatest people to work with. I love to go out on scenes with them. And in movies, they they're kind of seen as the bad guys because they want to take the children away. They're the custody provider. They're sitting there with a stone cold face, and you can tell like the person is just being real judgy about it and they turn out to be like the villain of the story because well they're going to take the child away that's not how it works and sometimes again children need to be taken away right that's just the way it is but yeah i I want to see better representation in that field i feel like just in general you want less cliched storytelling and cliched roles i want better movies like here's the cop here's the cliche cop here's the cliche drunk here's the cliche whatever like, I think you just hate cliches, which is fair. <laughs> yeah, but no, I've been seeing it more for these people who are supposed to be helping people and helping society in cases following trauma. Mm, okay. Like, psychologists, psychiatrists are supposed to support those who just came from trauma. Cops are supposed to intervene along with detectives. Mm-hmm. And social work services are supposed to follow up and make sure that they're okay. I feel like in the trauma stories, they put them in to create uh, to create tension and put in a, a sub antagonist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Instead of having someone that's supportive, yeah, I understand what you're saying. But yeah, d- d- knock down all cliches. We can do that. G- go ahead. <laughs> but I don't know. I guess I can just gotta chip away for right now. Kind of like the '90s corporate villain. Yes. Yeah. Though I do want to see them come back. They were great. <laughs> they were pretty great. <laughs> Well, Caitlin, is there anything that you want to add before we conclude the show? Um, 
I think that was all that I wanted to see. Well, we hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. You enjoyed our version of the awards. It was more entertaining. I don't know. Maybe we'll get more views than the Oscars. That's honestly possible nowadays. <laughs> but again, if you disagree with anything, if you agree with anything, if you want to give us a shout out, if you just want to talk about some, something completely random, go ahead and message us on our social media. And Caitlin, where can they find us? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Op Silver Screen. Facebook, that's Operation Silver Screen. But Twitter and Instagram, that's Op Silver Screen. Uh, a little bit after this episode airs, I probably will be posting a list on my letterbox with my top watches of 2022. So be on the lookout for that. You can find me on my letterbox at Coffee Spoon Kate. That's Coffee Spoon C-A-I-T. Brian, I don't know if you're also planning on doing something similar down the road, but you can find Brian at Swank Seal. That's capital S, capital S. I have to catch up with my 2022 reviews. I'm not making that promise to you guys. Listen no, to no, the not episode. the reviews. Just like the list. Make a list. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, I have other letterbox tasks to attend to. Gotcha. This is going to be our Tuesday episode. Mm. So our next assignment, got to tell you guys about that one, is going to be Fast Times at Richmond High. This is Richmond? kind of a little bit of a... Is it Richmond? Richmond. Okay. And you know where we're from. We don't pronounce T's. <laughs> this movie is kind of a, a gift to our parents. This is a movie that your mother enjoys. And this is one of, one of my dad's favorite all-time movies. I actually got him a Criterion Collection Blu-ray. Okay. Before, for it. Yeah. Criterion Collection is always great. Give us money for that, by the way. Sponsorship. <laughs> I don't think we've talked about teen dramas too much. This may be one of our first teen dramas. I have to go back and, and look into it. This is one of the first teen dramas of... Like film and one of the first ones that we're going to be doing. This is a film that I've seen and Caitlin, you have not. I have not. So make sure to join us for the next assignment. Till then, I'm Bryant. And I'm Caitlin. See you.